This is Brian Billick, and I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. He's 26 miles, 100 miles away right now because I'm at home. I'm glad to be joined by anybody right now, Denny, because it's blowing pretty good here. Well, Liz, you're on that eastern seaboard, and, you know, I called my brother in Washington, D.C., my other brother in Harrisburg, and my other brother in Pittsburgh, and they say they're all going to get wind, rain, weather, and flooding. So you're closer than those three guys. Yeah, but as we know, nothing stops the Coach's Show podcast, so uh, we're just going to keep going. How's that sound? That sounds good. Romo back to throw. Romo tees it for Des Bryant downfield, and it's knocked away. It's well-caught touchdown. Bryant caught it. I thought it got knocked away, but he caught it in the back of the end zone with six seconds to go. After reviewing the play, the receiver's hand touched out of bounds. Prior to him gaining possession of the ball, the pass is incomplete. So it is overturned. And the touchdown is taken off the board. So let's start off, obviously, uh, uh, late yesterday afternoon. Uh, let's start with the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. Boy, what a, what a game. You know, when I, I had to fly back from my game, it was 23 to nothing when I got on the plane. And when I landed, it was 23-24. In a, and it was a short flight from Pittsburgh to Baltimore. So, obviously, incredible game. Uh, but as usual, near the end of the game, there's always something going on in the NFL. There were a couple of situations, coaching situations, uh, that uh, Jason Garrett again found himself in, went for it on a second one, a third and one, and a fourth and one, threw it three straight times. A lot of people are second-guessing that. They're second-guessing his use of, of, of um, two-minute. But at the end of the game, he was really only a fingernail away from beating the Giants and a come-from-behind win. Well, it was, and I just told, I think it showed you how dangerous Dallas Cowboys are and that they do have talent. They don't give up. They got a lot of fight in them, that's, that's for sure. Uh, they came back and played well, and I don't, I don't know how Bryant got behind the, the safeties, uh, you know, and had a chance to make a great catch for a touchdown. And as if people didn't see it, I mean, his hand landed first; it really did. Normally, your feet come down first, but the way the catch was, his he caught it. His hand landed first, and his hand was on the line. And anything on the line is not good in the game of football. And so it was a phenomenal game, though. And I think what would bother you, though, is that, you know, Dallas threw the ball 62 times, you know. And, and obviously they were behind. They were behind 23. They were behind on two interceptions and then three interceptions, of which one went for a touchdown. And they had to catch up. And so they did throw a lot to catch up. And they did catch up, but just didn't quite win the ball game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can have a plan, and everybody can criticize uh, for, for the play calling. You didn't run enough. You didn't throw enough. You didn't do this or that enough. But the nature of the game, when all of a sudden you look down and you're down 23 to nothing, um, you know, there's a couple of approaches you can take. It can you get the ball and give me, give me that one drive. Let me see if I can bring this down to a two-score drive. And, uh, and the fact that the game started out the way it did for Dallas with the first two series ended in an interception, then they punted, then they intercepted. Uh, but then finally they were able to put that eight-play drive for a touchdown. At that point, it brought it back to, uh, uh, you know, at least a reasonable chance. Uh, but you're right, throwing the ball 62 times at the end of the day, I don't know that any coach goes in going, I think that's what we're going to do here. Yeah, you know, and I think with that part you mentioned about the little bit of criticism on, on Jason Garrett, you know, you, when you get compelled on third and one and then you're going for it on fourth and one, you know, somebody's got to remind you, get the first down first. I mean, you've got, they had three timeouts, get the first down. Now, you know, normally when you've got a defense kind of charging for the pass and stuff, you can normally 
hardly run it for a yard because they're not even thinking that way. They're not thinking short yardage. And you blast it and get the yard and then start throwing again. If you do decide to throw when it's third and one, then you, you've got to make the kind of throw that's going to at least give you a chance for a first down. So, you know, that, that didn't happen. I think they still had a legitimate chance. But on fourth and one also, it was a bad type play. I don't know exactly. It, it was almost like the receivers fell down or something because, you know, by the time Romo was able to throw the ball, he probably about 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage trying to pick up one yard on a fourth and one. So it isn't what happens. And so that also comes up, Brian, this idea on the head coaches also being the play caller. It doesn't happen very often. Sometimes, it, you know, you've got some guys that have done it. Bill Walsh, of course, was incredible at it. Mike Holmgren, you know, when you start talking about different generations. But I think it's still a very difficult deal for the head coach to be the play caller. And I think this is a case where Jason Garrett, if he if he's calling it, if he wasn't calling it, he could have reminded the coordinator to pick up that dang first down. Uh, if yeah, he's that, not, that. if he's doing the great, somebody should have reminded him, coach, get the first down first and then try to get the touchdown. Right. Cause it, you know, at the end of the day, as we both know, as a head coach, most of your decisions are made when you're on the offensive side of the ball. So when you're trying to do both those jobs, I can just imagine that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, in the day when you and I and you were my head coach and I was the coordinator, as, as, as easy it was to work for you, I imagine you'd have flipped over and go, uh, Brian, uh, you think you want to just get the one yard here uh, on running the ball? Uh, and it also gets into a sequence where if you're second one and you decide to do the play-action fake and it doesn't work. And, and, then, and I'm going to sound like an apologist for Jason Garrett here, and I don't mean to, but I'm just, as we do on the show, try to take people through the thought process. And then, okay, it's third one. Well, they know I'm going to run the ball here because I just threw it. So they got to know I'm going to pick up the yard. So now I'm going to mix them up and I'm going to throw the ball. Well, now, after I did that in third one, well, I know they know I'm going to run the ball here. <laughs> At fourth and one, you can, you know, I like your word. You're compelled to do some other things sometimes, but sometimes simpler is better and certainly, uh, you know, worthy of the questioning of it. But at least we can try to understand why you get to that point. Let's move on to another. Uh, you know, we talked last week about. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the change they've made at the defensive coordinator's job, and they had the week off and coming out of buys. Andy Reid is 13-0, and but they had the Atlanta Falcons come to town, and this thing was never close. The Falcons did not even punt until the fourth quarter. Uh, Michael Vick now, the question becomes, do you stay with Vick? Do you move on? There are a lot of questions in Philadelphia right now. Well, there really are, and I think they start with the head coach. Is the head coach going to do what the fans want him to do? Which right now, the fans are, you know, mostly all of them are probably saying, hey, let's make a change. Now, you know, making a change for change's sake normally doesn't work out that way. I mean, if you're a, a good team you think that needs a good break and needs a win, you know, then make a change. But if you're just a team that's saying let's just make a change and make a change, that that just means you're not gonna you're not gonna win the ball game. And and so I don't think Andy Reid's ready to give up. I think he still feels that hey he can compete and go out and play. And and so this week they've got New Orleans and and they're going to New Orleans. And sometimes you know it's a good thing to go on the road. I think this is a good time, even though New Orleans is a tough place to play. It's probably a good place for Philly to go on the road. It's going to be uh, a call that Andy Reid is going to make. Uh, right now, he did not come out yesterday and say, you know, that uh, that Michael Vick's still our quarterback. Michael Vick didn't come out and say, I'm still going to be the quarterback. I think it's something that all the coaches and, and Andy Reid eventually is going to make his decision probably today, but it's not going to be an easy call. 
Yeah, and, and there's more to it. You know, we, we talk through when you when you make these kind of decisions, there's a lot of layers to this onion, so to speak, and, and, and it's a, that's an apt analogy because this whole thing stinks, obviously, in terms of the options that you have. Um, you have to begin with what does it take to win the game this week? You hear that all the time from coaches and players, but don't worry about anything else. Just this week, and we're going to New Orleans. Obviously, we know the high-powered offense that they have. The issues they have now are just not a quarterback. You know, defensively, you know, you can put Nick Foles in, but, it, you know, it's not, unless you put him in on defense, the Atlanta Falcons opened up with three touchdown drives of 80 yards, 50 yards, and 73 yards, then went 66 yards. That was just in the first half. They did not punt until the fourth quarter. So, obviously, there are still issues on defense, even though you changed your defensive coordinator. So you kind of shot your, your gun there and said, okay, I'm going to try to do what I can to change this impetus. Now offensively, so it's what does it take to win this game? I find it hard to believe that Andy Reid believes his best chance to beat the New Orleans Saints, keep up with a team that has such a prolific offense, is to go to this rookie quarterback. Now the next week they're at home against Dallas, and now you've compounded it because now is that when you want to start the guy? Uh, this is a tough situation to be in, but uh, I don't know that he really has a lot of other options. I just, boy, I don't know that going with this rookie quarterback is what I'm going to do, thinking that I can go on the road to beat the New Orleans Saints. Right, and it's going to be interesting. As you know, Andy has been there. He's been in a job as a head coach longer than any other coach in the National uh, Football League, so he's been there a long period of time. Uh, and they've tailed off just a little bit. Uh, he's a great competitor. He's a tremendous coach. I don't think anybody doubts that. Right now he's going through a tough spell, so it's going to be interesting to see what decision he makes, and that's what makes the game of football so incredible uh, because there are going to be decisions you have to make. Fans feel like they want to be part of it, but I want to tell you, you're not going to be part of it. Andy's going to do what he thinks is best, but it's not going to be a, just a right and a wrong. It's going to be how the players respond after the decision he makes, whether he says go with Michael Vick, how are they going to respond? If he says we're not going to go with Michael Vick, how are they going to respond? And let's flip it over to a more, you know, a better scenario for Atlanta and Mike Smith. He's got he's got a problem. It's a good problem, but he's got a problem. He's got a seven and zero team uh, that that now. How do you keep them focused on just playing the next opponent? Uh, like every game is, but how do you get at the Atlanta Falcons at 7-0 and not to get too full of themselves, not to feel like they're already arrived? Well, it's the same answer. It's what do we got to do to win this one game? You can't be 16-0 and until you're 8-0. and Denny, we've been there on a 15-1 and team. Uh, we actually kind of made it a little easier for us because we lost to Tampa Bay about midway. We didn't have to carry this can-you-go-undefeated mantra that's going to go on going forward. They play the Dallas Cowboys on on uh, uh, Nash, on the national stage on Sunday night, uh, but it's the same approach. How, guys, what do we need to do to win this game? And I don't want to hear anything about anything other than what it takes to win this game. Well, and I, it, I think it's going to be a really tough game because Dallas is clearly – clearly a dangerous football team. I mean, the way they came back and, and the way they're trying and the way they're playing defense, which is, you know, which is pretty good. And so will they be able to match up against this incredible Atlanta offense? You know, I don't know. But the idea, again, would be that uh, that uh, Dallas is a good football team. Dallas has the potential, has the potential to go on the road and win. And, again, I go back to road, home, if I'm Dallas, the way we lost that game last week, the best thing we can do now 
is go on the road. I mean, go on the road, and the best thing to do is go on the road and play against a team where they're going to be the underdog. Now they don't have the pressure of, you know, Jesus, the Giants have come in here and whipped us so many times. It's not about the Giants now. So much of that is about the Giants, the Giants, the Giants. This is not about the Giants. This is about us. And Dallas is able to say, let's go on the road on another artificial surface. The surface favors us. It favors Atlanta. We can play good defense. If we can shut down uh, Atlanta's defense, Atlanta's offense hasn't really, or their defense, has their defense really been challenged? Maybe yes, maybe not. I, I, I think that Dallas has a legitimate shot to play their best game of the year this week because of the circumstances on how they lost to their rival last week against New York. Yeah, and that's why I love you, Coach, because you're the, one of the best defenders I've ever been around. And you're going, this is just the team we need, a 7-0 team that's something like 26-3 and at home. That's Matt Ryan has been the quarterback. I love your sense of odds, Coach. I love the way you go after it. But you're exactly right. Dallas has to take that mentality. And the Falcons want the Dallas Cowboys as well. They want America's team. Guys, if we're going to continue this trek on, we're going to do it with the whole world watching on Sunday Night Football against America's team. And we're going to show them because there's still people that are questioning whether we're the real deal, even though we're the only undefeated team in the National Football League right now. And I would, uh, again, I've been here before in terms of uh, when we were making our Super Bowl run and heading to the playoffs. My team had not been, had a winning season since its inception, had never been near a playoff. I banned the playoff word. I said, I don't want to hear the word playoff, even though clearly that's where we're going. And you've got to earn the right to say the word playoffs. Sure. And, and I literally find them, including the organization, which was kind of tough because the league sent us the memo that says we could start selling playoff tickets. <laughs> they had to come up with another word, so we stole it from a Seinfeld commercial or a Seinfeld uh, uh, episode that called it Festivus Maximus. So we didn't sell playoff tickets. We sold Festivus Maximus tickets. Uh, uh, Seinfeld, you picked one then, that's for sure. It, that's a good one. Well, he had clear sailing, and the punt is blocked, and the Dolphins pick it up in the end zone. Touchdown, Miami! Olivier Vernon is credited with the touchdown. Jimmy Wilson had the block, and the Dolphins are on top nine to nothing. Let's uh, let's go on another. Uh, obviously, we got to come back to the New York Jets. Oh, Boy, what a! I don't know if it's surprising. But it being trounced, it was the margin of victory and the way it happened, losing 30-9 to to the Miami Dolphins. And, of course, the, everything from the owner to the head coach, Rex Ryan, have said only a winning season is, accept, is acceptable. And right now they're a long way from that. Well, Miami's a surprise team right now. I mean, I don't think very many people thought that Miami would be 4-3 and three after seven games. I mean, I think most people would say 2-5, and five, maybe 3-4, and four, but probably not. This team is playing very well. Uh, they've got some pretty good things going on defensively. The, the rookie quarterback is playing very well. You know what? Again, it, should Michael Vick make a change? I tell you what, you know, uh, Rex Ryan came out and said no. You know, now again, he didn't say we're making a change. He just said what he said many times, which is that uh, Sanchez is my quarterback. He was last week. He is this week. But he is really going to get a lot of pressure. 54 passes they threw. That is not the style of play, I think, that the Jets want to get get into. 283 yards, that's a lot of passes for only 283 yards. And, you know, and uh, somehow they just never got into a rhythm. So the question, again, is going to be, if you're 3-5 and five right now, and that's what the Jets are, 3-5, and five, you know, um, is this Tebow time, okay? And so, you know, they, they're in a bye week. So, again, the reason I would question, because, like, how come they play the games? Well, they didn't have their bye yet. So now it's bye week. So now if you're going to make a change, there are a couple ways you look at it. One, do you have an easy defense coming up, an easy opponent coming up, and are you still in the playoff hunt? 
Okay, so three and five, I, I guess you're, you're still in the playoff when it's too early. Do you have an easy opponent, the best opponent, yourself? You don't play anybody this week. You've got to buy. If you're going to make a change, then you do it then. But, again, what hasn't happened is make a change and then go back. If you're making a change, you have to stay with that change. I don't think Rex Ryan will do it, but I think most people will try to say that he should go with Tebow time. Yeah, and again, just like the Michael Vick situation, there's a lot of layers to this. They come and they play at Seattle. And I'm I'm not a believer that Tim Tebow is going to be your ultimate answer, but he may have to. And again, he can change his mind. I go back to the old Al McGuire story after he got shut out of the old NIT and he said, my team, we will never play in the NIT ever again because they had shunned him in the one year. And the next year they went back to the NIT and they asked him, Coach, what? You said you'd never go back. And his answer was simple. I changed my mind. <laughs> you know, Rex can always say, hey, I changed my mind. They go to Seattle. And I don't know that this passing attack, Mark Sanchez against Seattle and that secondary in Seattle, um, maybe Tebow is the way to go. Now, is he the answer the rest of the way? Once you get running, hey, maybe you get hot here. Maybe he does what he did in Denver, and you get on a run here, and you get back to your pounding ground. Uh, but I know there's going to be a lot of discussions about it. Ultimately, uh, to me, it's just putting off the inevitable. To Even if you do that and you have success, you're going to be right where Denver was at the end of the year. Is this the guy that we're going to go forward with? Um, Rex Ryan wants to win playing great defense and running the ball. And, and I don't know that Sanchez gives him that best chance. I'm not a big Tebow fan in terms of the belief that he can play quarterback in the National Football League, but he may be in that situation where he has to absolutely has to. And once you go down that course, there's there's no going back. So, yeah, I imagine particularly they're going to hear a lot about this over the next two weeks. So we'll see uh, we'll see what he comes up with. Third down and three from the Chicago nine. The Panthers have two backs, one to each side of Cam Newton. Newton motions Brandon LaFell to work in motion towards him. Newton fades back to throw. Newton will run up the middle. He's got the first down to the five-yard line. Newton lowers his pass, fumbled the ball in the end zone. I think the Panthers have fallen on it. The officials come in to unpile it all. I think the Panthers fell on the ball. He was in the end zone. The Panthers want this nope. to be a no, touchdown. Still in. no signal yet from the officials. Yeah, I think he fumbled that at the one-yard line, think Murphy too. Got, I think Murphy got touchdown. Uh, I think Murphy got, led on the ball. Touchdown, Carolina leads. But Cam has to be a little bit uh, safer with that ball. He slips on the cut. and got to put that ball back in the frame of your body. Got to. The Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers. Chicago's continuing to look like an awful good football team. Got tested at home against Carolina in a way with a 23-22 win coming from behind with a field goal. Maybe surprised us a little bit. But, again, uh, let's, let's go to a situation that happened in the game in the second quarter. Carolina was going in to, to score. Cam Newton fumbles. And, uh, and it gets uh, covered, and, and his teammate covers it, and uh, they win. Or I should say, they get the touchdown. And a lot of people are making the, uh, the point about it that, that over on the sideline, Cam Newton just went over and started to pout, nor did he, you know, didn't congratulate his teammate, didn't congratulate his team, didn't realize they just all dodged a bullet. In light of what he did last week, a lot of people are, again, questioning his leadership ability and, and, and what he's going to be about going forward. Well, you know, I think he's just really catching a lot of heat right now. Part of it is that the team is not playing well. But, you know, in baseball, you know, the pitcher's out there. He throws a, what he thinks is a bad pitch, and it gets hit. But the defensive guy, the center fielder, makes a great play on it. 
he's pretty appreciative. And he's normally he'll say it. You know, he'll point to the guy first off, hell of a catch. And then number two, he'll normally say something to him when they get to the dugout, I'm sure, like, hey, man, you saved me that time. I think it's okay to do this. I think Cam just got to relax and, and just, you know, be himself and, and be that positive force that he's been. He was a phenomenal player in college, and he came out of college with a lot of momentum. And then he had a very good year considering they were only 6-10 and 10 last year. But he had a good year last year. Now things aren't going quite as well. And I think he's got to relax and think, first of all, he's not doing everything right. No one is. And number two, that uh, that there's room for improvement across the board on the whole football team. But if something doesn't go the way he wants it to go, well, you know, you just have to kind of, you know, say, hey, help me out here. I can help you. You can help me. And that's part of the game. Yeah, this, this is a tough one because, again, as we talked about last week, I don't know that there's anybody on the team that can give him that kind of guidance. I don't imagine away from the team he's getting the, 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 the tough love that, uh, from his, his entourage because they're probably telling him, now you're doing the right thing. They don't understand you. You just keep doing what you're doing. Even the head coach, Ron Rivera, who's a former player, who's someone that Cam Newton should respond to because he played in this league a long time. This may take ownership. Jerry Richardson has called players to his home, which is the ultimate principal's office, so to speak, to have these kind of talks. I don't know if he's done it yet but he probably needs to to make sure that Cam Newton understands from the top down, from the owner, the guy that signs the check, and someone who happened to play in this league, this is not the way you need to conduct yourself. Well, I think it would start It would start with when, when any time, you know, you come off the field, sit down with the quarterback coach. You know what I mean? A lot of teams do that automatically anyway. So it doesn't matter what happened, whether it matter whether you threw a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, uh, we're punting, whatever. As soon as you come off the field, the first thing you do, quarterback, is you sit down with the quarterback coach. Uh, and if it's not the quarterback coach, he's in the press box, then it is the offensive coordinator. And, and, you know, these guys all got like 23 coaches on the staff, so some of these teams got a quarterback coach and an assistant quarterback coach. Sit down and go over what took place. and then. But if there's another issue, you can talk about that also. You know what I mean? If there's another issue, and it, it is, everything doesn't have to be on a, you know emergency basis and, and so I think that's probably what they're missing because as as the camera flashes on cam when he comes off the field and it's always doing it now he's by himself he shouldn't be by himself that's what you got a quarterback coach for he should be with his quarterback coach that's what all the big timers are, are doing when they come off the field they're always sitting down with the quarterback coach or the coordinator I think that would help take a lot of pressure off this idea of his focus on what happened before let's focus on what's going to happen next yeah, I liked what you said last week. Listen listen more and talk less, and that's probably the best situation he could be in. Let's let's go to the other big uh, story with, the, with regards to rookies. RG3 and the Redskins went into Pittsburgh. I had that game. Uh, this was less about RG3 not playing well. He was only 16 of 34. He had nine drop passes, two of them for touchdowns. Uh, he did his part, uh, but the Washington Redskins offense just could not support him. Uh, the Steelers looked really, really good. I was surprised. You know, the Steelers have been showing their age on defense. They've changed their philosophy offensively. But that was probably the thing that impressed me the most. Ben Roethlisberger, they didn't have a lot of big plays, but they won a lot of 10, 11, 12-play drives. Uh, once Washington turned the ball over, then they never got it back because the Steelers and this Jonathan Dwyer, he's the real deal. He's a Steeler type of running back, physical, downhill, got good feet, almost like a Jerome Bettis. Uh, and that defense without Troy Polamalu looked pretty good. It didn't look too old. Uh, they had a certain swagger about them. I think the Steelers, now they go on the road to New York, so they have an opportunity, and they've got Baltimore after that, two of the next three weeks. So they're getting hot at just the right time, and if they can get healthy, get Troy Polamalu back, 
uh, and then get the rest of the running backs. Rashard Mendenhall is due back. Uh, Isaac Redman is supposed to be back as well. Depth at your running back core. Uh, Pittsburgh seems to be getting hot just at the right time. Well, I think the story of this game is just physical. Pittsburgh, you know, has made sure that guys get hit, you know, whether it be RG3 gets hit or whether it be the receivers that get hit, you know. And, again, now receivers don't just drop balls normally. I mean, you know, as they say, it's un-American if you can't catch. I mean, everybody in America can catch. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Uh, and so when guys are dropping balls, you know, then, then a lot of times there's something else going on in there. And, and I think that the, the physical play and the reputation of the physical play of Pittsburgh, the reputation of the hitters in the secondary at Pittsburgh m- might have uh, kind of shown through a little bit. And so I think that probably made a difference. The drop passes, as you know, they'll cost you a first down. They'll cost you field position. They'll cost you possession of the ball. You know, one drop ball can cost you a ball game. You talk about 6-7, there's no way you're going to win. Yeah, and they did it in the throwback jerseys, 1934. Those were the most hideous-looking things I've ever seen. <laughs> of course, that 1934 team was 2-10, and 10, so they've already matched half as many wins as that 1934 team did. But uh, it was kind of fun to see. And, and uh, they got a tough test going into New York, but I tell you what, Roethlisberger's the kind of guy that can hold off that New York four-man rush, make the play even though they're hanging on him, keep things alive the way Roethlisberger can. Plus, if they can run the ball like they have the last couple weeks, this uh, this is going to be a very, very good game. Second and 10, Colts. Ball at the Tennessee 16. Have to think touchdown here. Luck under center. He'll bring uh, Donnie Avery from left to right. Play action, rolls to the right side, looks back, throws to the left side, caught by Ballard. 15, 10, 5, he dives for the end zone. He is touchdown! Colts win! Colts win! Colts win! Vic Ballard on the pass catch. And 16-yard run after the catch. And the Colts are up and in the win column with a 19-13 win on the road. Uh, Indianapolis and Tennessee, you know, uh, we talk about another rookie, Andrew Luck, uh, on a, a beautiful nine-play drive in overtime to give them the uh, 16-13 win over Tennessee. Indianapolis, uh, you know, at 4-3, and who would have thought they'd be within the, the hunt right now? And they are right now, particularly in the AFC. In Tennessee, you know, they ran the ball okay, not great, but okay. Uh, and they got a tough, tough task with Chicago coming to town this next week. I have that game. You know what? Uh, Andrew Luck is playing some good football. I mean, you look at his statistics, 20, 26 out of 38, 297 yards. I mean, I think he's playing well. He's showing great leadership, you know, for their football team. And uh, he's the main reason why they are 4-3. and three. This is a team, remember, now won one ball game last year. So uh, Tennessee is close. I mean, one week they get a lot out of Johnson, and next week not quite as much. He rushed for 99 yards, which was a good game. But this is a guy that can potentially put up 130, 140-plus every single week. So I, I think that Tennessee has to somehow find a way to get a little bit over the hump. And then Indianapolis, you know, with, with their game coming up, uh, you know, they are, are right now playing like they are the surprise team. Yeah, Tennessee's going to have a tough time against Chicago, like we said. Their inability to, uh, you know, they may be able to try to continue to run the ball, but it's one of those things they might bleed to death slowly because I don't think they're going to get any big plays against that that secondary of Chicago, and that four-man front's going to put some pressure on Hasselbeck in a way that maybe he hasn't the last couple weeks. So it's going to be uphill. And Indianapolis, they're playing on house money right now. Whatever they do puts them ahead of the curve. Luck continues to, to grow and win. Overtime win against uh, against uh, Tennessee was a big one for him. A last-minute win against 
uh, Green Bay. He's showing that he can be that kind of guy. So life's pretty good for him right now. Well, a Thursday night game got a matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs at San Diego, two teams that are hurting, hurting in a big way. North Turner, boy, I tell you what, you're in a tough spot right now because you cannot, you absolutely cannot lose to the Kansas City Chiefs and not think that's not going to bring around some great big, change in, in San Diego. Well, I think the big thing, San Diego, you know, they've not scored a touchdown in six quarters. And so this is a team that I think is built on offense, a whole theory on on Phillip Rivers and getting the ball to Antonio Gates and running the ball and so forth, throwing the ball outside. I mean, that's supposed to be their whole thing, and they have not played well offensively. You know, they've lost three games in a row. They've lost three games to teams that are not going to – they haven't lost to a team that they expect to be in the playoffs. I mean, they, they lost to New Orleans and, and, and people like that. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a tough goal now. They're screaming like mad up there in San Diego, very hot in San Diego, my dear Brian. I hate to tell you that, and you're – in your neck of the woods, what you're up against right now. They're out in San Diego, very hot, and the fans are very hot. And with the game coming up Thursday, you know, as you say, what do you want? Well, when you play like they played yesterday over in Cleveland, then the sooner the better. I mean, remember, you've heard me say in the old days, I wish we had a game today. The players didn't want to play today after losing the day before, but I do because you want to get that taste out of your mouth. Believe me, San Diego wishes they had a game tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. Good, we'll be there. And I think that uh, they should be able to beat Kansas City. Kansas City is really struggling. They're not running the ball nearly as well. They're not playing very good defense. And I I just think you've got two contrasts here. North Turner on offense is an offensive coach. Is calling the plays on offense some question? Is that a role he should still have? And Romeo Cornell, a former defensive coach, a former interim head coach, now the head coach at Kansas City, is calling the defenses. And I think both head coaches might be missing a little bit of the game by taking on those additional roles. It's very difficult being a head coach at all, yet alone being able to do both. You look over and you see Mike Smith, and what Mike Smith is doing is doing everything he can to facilitate what needs to happen on offense and defense and helping everybody because he's not involved in calling offensive plays or he's not involved in defensive plays. It is done sometimes, but not a great deal. Plus, it brings the additional scrutiny, as we've said many times. The head coach are responsible for everything, and they're going to come after you for those 16 games. Well, now both these guys, they're going to come after you for those 1,000 you know, 1,100 calls that you make during the course of a season as a coordinator. And that's, uh, yeah, that's double duty in that way. Romeo Cannell, the interim head coach last year, the team rallied around him, wanted him to come back as the head coach. That happened. You know, do they do something during this season? I don't think Scott Pioli has an option here. He's already pulled that trick out of his bag, so to speak. Changing head coaches isn't going to do you any good. He's just going to have to ride this thing out and hope somehow they can turn this thing around. You know, A.J. Smith's in the same situation. If Norv goes down, I'm not sure A.J. Smith doesn't go down. It would have to be the owner that steps in and says, I'm going to clear this whole thing right now and uh, just so I can get a jump on where we're going at the end of the season. So, you know, a lot of pressure going both ways. You know, Kansas City going in, they've got to run the ball well. They've got to hold on to the ball. They've got to run it well against San Diego or it's going to be a long, long game. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, I want to hear from you at Coach Billick. Tweet me and let me know what you want Denny and I to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.